want to read from the Word of God, so I'm going to ask you to stand as we read His Word from the Bible. I'm reading from Psalm 66, just a few verses, three or four verses, which simply says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name and make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. And all of the earth shall worship you. And they'll sing praises to you and they'll sing praises to your name. We've come in here for a purpose this morning, and one of those purposes is to worship God. One of those purposes is not only to lift our hearts to him, but he desires to come and touch our lives as we do. You know, it's kind of up to you, isn't it? And I pray that you're going to make a decision. I'm going to get something out of this service. I want what God has for me today and I'm looking forward to how he's going to minister to my life. So let's pray about that, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for your church. We thank you for this congregation. Let this congregation be blessed of the Lord today. Father, I pray may the power of your Holy Spirit simply captivate our hearts and lead us to desire you more than anything possible in this world. So Father, today, open our lives up, open our hearts up, our minds unto you. And Father, we pray that today as we worship you, as we, as, <clears throat> as we recognize your presence, help us to be alive and alert to all the things that you desire in our hearts and our lives, things that you're going to provide for us over the next 60 minutes. And so I thank you today. Let the people of God once again be blessed of the Lord. May the powerful Holy Spirit just invade this place. And let this sanctuary be a sanctuary of your presence and of the praise of your people. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. On the way home last Sunday afternoon, I turned the radio on in the car and heard the shocking news and the revelation of a gunman that entered a church service just like this, only a much smaller church, much smaller, and literally shot the place to pieces. I was, I mean, I was just stunned to know that 26 people lost their lives and another 20 people were seriously injured. And I, I just, that just rattled me, to be honest with you. And I think all of us were just a bit unnerved by what, what happened there. I spent most of the afternoon thinking about this, to be honest with you, and uh, about this terrible act. It was an evil act. Um, and so we started the week with broken hearts and sad, heavy hearts. I, I simply cannot imagine being a pastor of that church. And interestingly, the pastor was away that Sunday. So he carries another kind of a burden, too. But astonishing 
So we pray for peace. We pray for the comfort of these families, the sadness that has gripped and shattered their lives and just overshadows them in so many different ways. I've seen a picture of this killer on television. And I've wondered as I looked at him, what kind of a mentality, what kind of demonic power has invaded this person's life that has overtaken him? I, I'm not sure if we can understand it. I mean, we can talk about it a lot, but I don't know if we really understand it very well. It's something beyond all of us. The deathly scene in Las Vegas, I think about three weeks ago now, the tragedy in New York City of a person driving a vehicle on a walking path, a bike path, killing people. What kind of a human being does this? What kind of a person, what are they thinking? What motivates? that kind of a situation. Now we know immediately politicians use this as, a <clears throat> as an opportunity to, to express their political viewpoints and things like that and demand that this and that be banned and all of these things. As we point a finger at something, as we say, that's the cause or that's the reason or these are the, these are the why this person did this. And I understand those things. I understand those things. And we post different things. We tweet this and we tweet that. And all of this really to no avail. I think what we are seeing today is way beyond saying, if this person had better education, it's way beyond poverty. It's way beyond my parents didn't love me enough, and therefore I am the way I am. It's way beyond mental health care and these sort of things. And I'm not saying that those are not important things and that they may be factors even. But I think there's something far, far deeper than that. There's an infection that lives and resides in every human being that has ever lived or ever will live. It is, a, it is a resident evil that we often call a fallen nature or a sin nature. Our fallen nature has been passed on to each one of us in this room, every one of us. This fallen nature has contacted my life and your life. And it's because our very, very, very first parents, clear back in Genesis chapter 2, decided that their idea was better than God's idea and ignored God and disobeyed God. And the Bible says sin entered into the world. 
I have a fallen nature. You have a fallen nature. That's not a nice thing to... We don't, we don't put name badges on people and say, Hi, I have a fallen nature. We don't do that. We don't want that. But we have it. And the only answer to that fallen nature is a changed heart. My heart, the Bible says, is desperately wicked. And who can know it? Think of that, desperately wicked. And who can know it? And a heart, I need a heart transplant. And the only person that can perform a spiritual heart plant, a transplant is through the name of Jesus Christ. When Christ comes into my life or into your life, that heart that is filled with wickedness and disgust and everything else that you can imagine, sin, Christ transforms the heart. He makes us everything new. He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new trajectory in this life that we can live for him in all of these things. That's what Christ does. And only him. I can get better education. I can get mental health care. I can have my parents can be better than they were and all of these things. You can, you can add all of these, stack them all up. And at the end of the day, you're still wicked. You still have a wicked nature. Christ is the change agent in all of this. So the question is, maybe we ought to be looking into ourselves. David, uh, David raises this question and makes the statement in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. That's quite a prayer, you know that. If you'd like to pray about something this week, go ahead and pray that one. In the privacy of your prayer closet, just say, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's some wicked way in me. Tell me if there's a wickedness in me. Know my thoughts and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's a bold prayer. And God will... Listen, if you've said, I've never heard God speak, I guarantee you'll hear him speak. He'll start talking. And I hope that we want to listen. Because he's not saying stuff just to say, I'm going to hammer you. I've been looking forward to hammering you for a long time. You've had this coming to you, and now I'm going to give you what you deserve. That isn't how God's going to talk. If you hear that, you didn't hear from God. What God is going to say, this is the way you're walking. Here, let me show you a better way. Let me show you my way. Let me show you the way of the cross, the way of the word, not the world. And God will give you that new pathway, that course for your life. Folks, we live in a culture of violence. I, uh, I watched uh, just... Just this week, I didn't have a whole lot of time, but every time I turned on the television, 
they were advertising some TV movie or some movie that might be coming into a theater. I don't know. My goodness. Man, these things are violent. Wow. Incredibly violent. We glorify violence. We glorify violence in video games. We sell this. Murder is accepted. We think it's cool. We accept murder in the terms of choice. People of faith. People of faith are belittled. I've heard the remarks of some congressmen in committee hearings. Look, you're not fit for this job because of your Christian faith. Are you serious? That's being said in Congress? And the answer is yes. And it's being accepted widely. Is it because traditional values have been abandoned? God himself has been totally marginalized and disinvited, basically, in any kind of a discussion. We've seen a dehumanizing of people to the point where life is cheap. And is it time we look also within ourselves? Folks, you know, you and I, I, I mean, I love coming to church. I, I love it that you're in church, and I, I love the church. But folks, for six days this week, we rub shoulders with a world that is, that, that is filled with hate, a world that doesn't, is not interested in God, a world that could care less about my values or your values. And is it possible that during that time, we become ourselves, we sort of adjust our thinking sometimes even into the thinking of the world. That, to me, this is why church is so important. It gives us, a, at 10 o'clock on Sunday, we need to reset our thinking. We need to reset our hearts. We need to reset and reaffirm our values. We need to reaffirm our faith and, uh, and press on. Maybe it's time we blow the dust off the Bible and rediscover God's word. And our God's word's got a lot to say about this world and the people in it. The ancient prophet Hosea, chapter 8, verse 7 says, If you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. And that is true. That's exactly what's going on. As I think about these things, I have to ask the question where's the church in the middle of all this? What about the church? Sometimes I think it's very easy for us to suggest that coming to Jesus means sort of a carefree life, happy life, and sometimes we project that, unfortunately. Some kind of a happy life. Jesus said in John chapter 16, he said he's reminding his disciples, he's speaking to the, to, to, to the choir, if you will. He says, in this life, you're going to have tribulation. Why? Because you're a follower of Christ. You see that happening? I do. I don't like it. I'd rather lead, lead an easier life. But he said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. But then, let's finish that sentence, shall we? But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Amen? And if he overcame it, so do you. So do you. So do you. Every one of us, so do you. We are overcomers in this world. 
We struggle with these moments and we struggle in our faith. These are the times when we're prone to ask, why did this happen? Why does some guy with a gun come in and kill people in church? I don't understand it. Why does some guy rent a hotel room, knock out the window and start blasting away? Why does some guy drive a truck down a bike path? Why? Why do you allow that? I tell you, I have to remind you that even Jesus, as he hung on the cross and was dying, he said, why, Father? Why have you forsaken me? And he knew the perfect will of God for his life. So the humanity of Jesus bleeds through in those moments. It's unfortunate, but sometimes believers are so shaken by their inability to understand what is happening, they feel a sense of abandonment of God. They feel betrayed. And this is a very dangerous moment. And I'll tell you why it's so dangerous. Because at this moment, Satan can wedge his way into your thinking, into your, into literally ever your, your beliefs, and cause that why question to become larger, so much larger than it really is. And it becomes, it, it can be deadly. First Timothy chapter four, verse one. I'd like you to uh, turn there. Actually, I've got a couple places uh, in this message. First Timothy chapter four, verse one says, now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, and I've studied these. I've studied these passages extensively, folks. Satan is the source here. This isn't God. This isn't man. This isn't just me thinking it up. This is the enemy of our soul that uh, becomes the source of evil that transfers into our life. Just prior to this, Paul is speaking about good news, and he's talking about the church. He's talking about. The, how the church is being governed and all of these things and all of this. Now he takes a very serious turn of direction here, very sobering kind of words here. Jesus came into this world literally as the truth that was incarnate. He became truth. But the world system, which is run by the enemy, has rejected this truth. And so here is Paul's warning to this uh, church pastor right here, Timothy. Some will depart from this faith. The word depart, understand this, or fall away, and you, you may have one or the other in your Bible, means a sense of betraying someone or something. It is a choice that a person makes. I don't fall away from the faith by accident. I don't just stumble along down the road and just accidentally just kind of blow off my faith. This is a choice. This is a conscious decision of people to not desire to have things to do with God. And you can couch that in any old way you want to look at it, but I make choices. You make a choice. You made a choice today to come into this place, to engage in worship, to engage in this service and everything. You made a choice, and it was a good choice. The noun form of this verb is an interesting word. It's called apostasia. And of course, this is where we get the word apostasy. 
meaning you don't act <coughs> you don't accidentally fall away again it is always by choice you know recently a pastor of a very popular mega church was on a uh, on a, on a very liberal television program and the uh, was being interviewed and he was asked about his views on abortion and this is what his statement was you have to live your own convictions now think about that just for a minute just think about that for a second he's basically saying whatever you believe is okay to believe is that true of course not God's word gives us a lot of guidance I mean it's not God doesn't say thou shall not steal but that's optional that's just a suggestion thou shall not commit murder but that's an option you know and on and on I mean I, I don't want to make light of this but this is making light of the Word of God this is making light of what God is saying about many different things here and let me add something else let, let me tell you folks feel good theology that refuses to call sin at the risk of offending somebody all we're doing is simply covering up the darkness we didn't do anything to cure the darkness we didn't do anything to bring light we didn't do anything to offer an opportunity of change all we did was cover it up it's like me taking a blanket here and throwing it over this section right here and say uh, you know they're not really here and yet we know they're here because we've seen them and that sort of thing please understand that apostasy and false teaching does not arrive at church in some uh, UPS box that is labeled stamped false teaching I wish it would now we know what to do with it it doesn't come that way in verse 2 here speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron in other words these people these are people that cannot discern what's true and what's false that's what Paul is saying here they're unable to do that because their conscience their minds have been seared like it's been this is where we get the word cauterized it's been seared it's been it's been hardened over and they can't find they can't discover false teachers two or three things just two things here false teachers bear the mark of their owner and number two the idea of deadened nerves a false teacher always tries to minimize his own sin I want you to go to 2nd Timothy turn over about one or two pages chapter 3 verse 1 Paul begins this uh, this particular chapter with these three words but know this but know this remember Paul is speaking to a pastor here and he's saying you keep on knowing this don't forget it be ever mindful as you carry out your pastoral duties I don't believe Paul was trying to scare Timothy he wanted him to have a balanced orientation here on what to expect Paul's saying perilous times are going to come and it's a word that's used in only one other place in the New Testament and that is in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus is talking about the demon-possessed guy that was at Gadara 
this guy that was, this guy, I mean, just a totally demon, crazy guy. And he uses this word right here. He's using this word perilous times, and it means to be harsh, vicious, menacing, and savage. That's the way Paul is describing the era in which we live today. Harsh, savage, demeaning. Following verse 1, Paul lists 19 different adjectives and descriptive phrases that characterize humanity. Most of the suffering in the world comes at the hands of humanity itself. You can read this list, look it over yourself. But I think verse 5 is one of the most dangerous ones. It says, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the, whoops, I'm in the wrong chapter. Pardon me. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people, turn away. This is what Paul is saying here. Watch this. This is, this is the one to watch. He said, people who dress themselves in robes of righteousness, robes of religion, and yet pursue their own lust and their own ungodliness. He says, make sure you stay away from those people. Let me shift gears here real quick. One of the frustrating things about Christianity is that sometimes it seems God is very quiet. I don't know about you, but when I pray, this is probably due to just simple impatience, but I'd sure like to know an answer. Wouldn't you? I've prayed for, to the Lord on many occasions. And it seems like God is silent. I would love to have God say, you know, there are situations that arise that go beyond what I can find in the scriptures. And a word from the Lord would really be helpful. Could you just give us a word? So this is how I see it. I'm going to just share with you, I guess, my own personal feelings on it as much as anything. <clears throat> I really believe God's silence is no way indicative of his activity in my life. I think God does a lot of things in my life that I don't know a thing about. I really do. I mean, I mean that may sound kind of strange to you, but I think God is working behind the scenes all the time. And the curtain is pulled, and it's for whatever reason, I don't get to peek behind the curtain always to see what in the world he's up to. I look at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis, and what I discover here is that through Joseph's life, God, I, in my mind, I don't think God said a thing to Joseph. Not a thing. And yet God was working powerfully behind the scenes, arranging things, causing this to happen and this to happen, and sometimes the things that were happening look like bad things, really bad things. Get, I mean, getting thrown in jail. That's a bad thing. I don't think Joseph was praying, throw me in jail so you could, your will can get accomplished. But God was working. God was positioning. God was moving people here, there, and everywhere, arranging so that eventually his will is going to just begin to unfold and blossom. 
And Joseph simply hung in there, stayed steady, didn't give up on God, <clears throat> didn't walk away, even though if I, I I'm going to see Joseph one of these days. And I'll bet anything, Joseph's going to say, I never gave up on God. And all I can say is, I agree with you, you sure didn't. Pretty sad. I think sometimes we assume, we assume that if we are not hearing anything, then God must not be doing anything. And that's, that's just a very human problem. We put God in human terms so often. So in other words, if Jason's sitting here and he didn't say anything to me, I guess Jason must, uh, he got a problem with me. Or what? You know, just because he didn't say anything. You, you follow what I'm saying here? I think sometimes this is the way we look at God, and, and, God, and that's, God isn't going to punish you for that, but understand, God is at work. God's got an activity going that is very powerful. When things are great, when things are great, we never doubt God. In fact, we're the first to stand up and shout, say, hallelujah to the Lord. And then when everything kind of goes south and turns bad, where's God? Why doesn't he show up? Why doesn't he do something and all of these things? Listen, we cannot judge God by his involvement in our lives due to the nature of our circumstance. I can only two think, think of two things that God is up to. First, it's the development and the, of my character, and this development is ongoing all of our life. It never ends. God is always working on our character, and the other thing is the development of his plan. In the cast of Joseph, God was with him all of the way. That becomes very, very clear at the end of Genesis, where finally the fog lifts blows away, we can see the amazing plan of God being formed. So what am I supposed to do in the meantime? And I don't know if you're going to like this one or not. It is so simple. What am I supposed to do in the meantime? Trust God. <laughs> trust God. If you are not going to trust God, then what are you going to do? Okay? I'm not trusting God. Well, what are you going to do then? Who are you going to trust? Why don't you do this? And I'm going to turn there really quick. I've got it marked in my Bible. Why don't you ask Jonah what it's like not to trust God? Jonah, God, was, God said, Jonah, I want you to do something. Why don't you go to Nineveh and preach to these people? And Jonah, you know, he's, no, I don't like these people. I, these people are creeps. They're horrible people. I don't like them at all. God says, I want you to do this anyway. And Jonah responded in this way. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, which at that time in Jonah's life was a farthest point west in the world that you could go. I'm going to get so far away that God can't even find me. And unfortunately, David had not written yet, but David would eventually say, where can I go from your presence, Lord? 
So anyway, Jonah fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, found a ship, he paid the fare, and he went down into it. There's a sermon right there for you. He paid the fare, he went down into it. Everything is going down in Jonah's life until finally, I mean to tell you, the people on this ship that was almost ready to get wrecked, they, they realized this guy, Jonah, is in trouble with God, and they didn't even know God. He's in trouble with God. If we get rid of this guy, I think we'll be okay. So they threw him overboard. The Bible says God arranged. God arranged for a fish or a whale or whatever you want to say. Said God pulled Jonah up. Marine land direct on, baby. And he's in the belly of this fish for three days. You know, that would get your attention right now, wouldn't it? And even a fish, even this whale couldn't stomach this rebellious prophet. So he barfed him up on this. Is it okay to use that kind of language in church? He vomited him up on the shore, and Jonah finally said, oh boy, I think I get the picture now. Well, we took a side trip there, but when God is silent, you only have one choice, and that's to trust him, to remain faithful to him, and to know. And I want you to hear me. God has not quit on you. Don't quit on him. Don't stop on him. Because he will never stop on you. Not one moment. How do we respond to adversity? I know there's people who play the blame game. The natural response to is to strike out at people around you when things go wrong. Remember Mary and Martha did this. Their brother Lazarus died. And, and when Jesus finally showed up on the scene... Mary Martha approached her and said, you know, Jesus, if you'd have just been here, this wouldn't have happened. But they were wrong. Some people blame God. Some blame the devil. Some blame others. The problem with the blame game is that it can easily turn into bitterness, and that can be directed toward a person can be directed toward an organization. We've got to be careful about this one. Bitterness causes people to overreact and magnify how they've been wrong. How do we respond to adversity? We can have a pity party. We can have one of these parties that says, well, nobody cares about me anymore. It's a hopeless situation. And on and on you could go. The, the list is long. <clears throat> Self-pity does this. You know, self-pity forms a circle around you, around your life. A circle is formed when self-pity is involved here. And all, the only people allowed in that circle are the people who will join you in your misery. That's the only folks that are allowed in your misery. Donnelly, would you come back, please? A final word here. Suffering and questions that surround it are unavoidable. And they will, always <coughs> they will always be that way in our life. There's just things that are going on that we don't have the answers, not clearly anyway. What happened in that little church in Texas? We don't have all the answers to that. But we can point to a lot of things that I think would speak truth and spell out some of the parameters that was involved in that situation. A lot of the times these things come to us without warning. 
they take us by surprise. That's hard. It's unnerving. <coughs> These things can either shatter us or they can strengthen us. It can seriously damage our faith or it can strengthen our faith. These are the options that happen in our life. The outcome does not hinge on our adversity, but it hinges on our attitude and our response toward it. How am I going to respond? And I fully believe the man or a woman who has God's perspective on life, that's the person that I believe will emerge with victory. It's not, it may not come easy. It may come with pain. It may come with pain. I have an illustration I'm going to use next Saturday night, but I was going to share it with you right now, just briefly. We had a young student when John and I first came to the college, her name was Olivia. Olivia was uh, one of the resident directors, just a great gal. She graduated, I think, about two years after I was there and went on, got married, or she would get married. Um, she's got, I think, three children now. Uh, she's in her mid-30s. And she's been battling cancer for about probably three years now, at least. And it just continues to worsen. And I saw a post from Olivia, and the doctor said, we've run out of everything to do. Now we can try this. It's experimental but it may really have some powerful side effects. And Olivia said, no. We draw the line here. I'm still trusting God. Every step of this, this vigil with cancer, I'm still trusting God. I've never heard Olivia say, I believe God's against me. I think he's trying to hurt me. All of these things. I'm trusting God. I see God at work in my life. I've heard her say this. He's at work in my life. And the last post. I'm going to let God do what God pleases. I'm going to hug my kids. Love my husband. But it's up to God. How much more power can you possibly find in somebody's words that is facing the adversity that could possibly take your life? Father, I thank you for loving every one of us. Thank you for the people here at Faith Community Church. Thank you for their steadfast love of you. 
Father, I pray that even in the days in which we struggle, the days in which maybe even seeds of doubt sort of float into our life, we're still going to serve you. We're going to stand with you. We may not have all the whys and the wherefores answered that we pray about. We may not understand some of the things that we have to endure and walk through. But we know this. We will serve the Lord. We will be faithful. And we will trust you. Father, I pray. I pray for somebody people in this room that I don't know what the reason is but for whatever reason it is they're not walking with God today they're a long ways from God they may have religion as a part of their life but they don't have the Savior in their life Father help that person that one person or maybe dozens I don't know would you help them to pray with me dear Jesus Please come into my life and forgive my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to repent of that sin. I want to literally see my life turned around and go in a new direction toward God. Today, by faith, I receive Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of my life. I believe on him and only him not my good works, not religion, not my family, but just Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe Jesus died for me, and I believe he rose from the dead, and today, <clears throat> by faith, I ask him to come into my heart and be my Savior, Lord of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.